0: That's our word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we thank you that we are your workmanship. And Lord, that you didn't just save us from the guilt and penalty of sin and leave us on our own, but you are working day in, day out, seeking to conform us to the image of your dear Son. And Lord, it's a long Process, it's often a painful process. But Lord, we thank you for the assurance that one day we will be like Him and that day will come in fullness on the day when He reveals Himself in all of His glory. But until that day arrives, Lord, may we just continue to keep our eyes on Him. May we let your Spirit continue to Uh, transform us, and Lord, we pray that little by little we will uh, reflect the Lord Jesus Christ with increasing accuracy so that others might see him in us and be drawn to him. Lord, we know your spirit is at work in each of our lives. Lord, you have us each at different places, but Lord, your spirit knows what each one of us needs this day, and we're looking to you Uh, to just open our eyes to the truths that you have prepared each of us to learn. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in chapter 5. We got about midway through it last uh, week, and I'll try to finish it up Uh, this week. uh, I don't want to leave anything hanging because the next time we'll have Sunday school will be January the 8th, Uh so it'll be three weeks from now because next Sunday, of course, is Christmas Day and the following Sunday is New Year's Day and all you guys be out partying the night before. And, <laughs> <laughs> <or> <laughs> So, uh so yeah, I do want to get to a really good stopping pl- uh, place today. Now, the previous chapter, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but in the previous chapter, we uh, saw God's purpose in each of our lives is to conform us to the image of His Son. He did, didn't just save us so that, you know, we could struggle and, and just do the best we can for Him. He saved us so that uh, as new creations, he can conform us to the image of Christ, and that is his ongoing work. Now, in the chapter we started last week, this chapter on preparation, he begins looking at how God accomplishes this, How does he take us, who uh, you know came to the cross as as those bearing the very image of Adam? that fallen image how does he take us and work in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ what is the process and and really uh, the next few chapters will be looking at that now he starts in this chapter on preparation and and I'm going to try to just run th- through a quick review to get us up to where we're at uh so that we aren't just jumping in in the middle but we saw that you know, as God moves us in the direction of conforming us to the image of Christ, that His basic ingredient for growth is need. You know, uh, and this is the reason that He creates <coughs> and allows needs to enter our lives. To turn us from everything outside of Christ, everything that's part of this old life, to turn us... To Christ. And he points, you know, Paul talked about not I, but Christ. And that is a journey God has us on. And it's our needs that uh, bring us to the place of really looking for His answers. Now, you know, we saw, and I forget who this was a quote of, um... J.B. Stoney, an old Irish writer. He writes, The soul never imbibes of the truth in living power, but as it requires it. We are never going to take, home, uh, take hold of what God has for us in living power until we need it. Need is such a prerequisite for all of this. And this isn't just true, it's true in all areas of our our lives. He says, in the matter of service, in witnessing, in helping others, we must watch and wait for the hungry, the needy heart, if there is to be abiding fruit. And we talked about this last week. And Janelle and I have really found this to be true. The Lord has blessed us in allowing us to be involved in His work in a lot of lives over the years. But the lives that He's used us in are the ones where He has brought them to a place of seeing their need. And, you know, I, I said last week, Joanelle and I have never been ones to tr- uh, chase people, we wait. And, you know, we've started working with people before and they weren't ready and that was fine. And we just let the things go and we pray for them and we let God work. And He has got to create that hunger in us. And we saw, I think this was Darby who wrote, Wisdom and philosophy never found out God. He makes Himself known to us through our needs. Necessity finds Him out. Now, of course, Scripture tells us that God is going to supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory, but it doesn't say He's not going to let us have those needs. The answers to our needs are there, he hasn't, but first of all, He's got to uh, b- uh, bring us into an awareness of our needs. And I can look at my own life and I can see how every step forward in my Christian life has been preceded by Him bringing me to a point of seeing my desperate need. It's only as I've seen my need that I've looked for His provision and, is, and then as I've seen his provision and reached out and by faith accepted it, He's moved me forward. but it's been a long journey of, of seeing need and having needs met. And the same, you, I'm sure most of you can look at your lives and see the same journey. And we'll continue through that journey as we move forward. That's why he pointed out, we saw last week, our needs are invaluable. Were it not for our needs, we would go nowhere in the Christian life. Without spiritual hunger, we aren't going to feed on Christ. We aren't going to find his answers. Now, we saw too, that all too often believers are exhorted and pressured to grow before there's an acute awareness of the need, before there is a true spiritual hunger. And I said that's what we found when we went to Ireland. Some of the uh, ones we worked with there, they had been pressured to grow. And the Lord actually used that because they tried and they tried and they tried and they tried, and they tried in their own effort and they couldn't do it. And it brought them to a point of being willing to acknowledge their need. That they couldn't do it. And fortunately, I think, the Lord out of His grace towards them brought us there. But, you know, we saw in the last chapter, I mean, earlier in this chapter, you know, sad to say, in a lot of instances, there's, when there's real heart hunger, there's very little, sp- uh, spiritual food offered. And that's because, you know, the focus over and over and over again in, in, in churches is how to be saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. Is is a constant redemptive message. But there's not a lot being proclaimed about Christ's provision for the Christian life. Where we go once we're saved. And so a lot of Christians just struggle and struggle and struggle. Now, we saw last week, too, the Lord doesn't set us here, first of all, to preach or to do any work for Him. In fact, He doesn't really ever give us a work to do for Him. He wants to do a work through us. But He doesn't set us here first to preach or do any work for Him. The first thing for which He sets us here is to create hunger in others. And that hunger is to be created... Uh, And that hunger can be created only by those who carry the impressions of God. God's number one desire isn't for, for what we're going to go say and do. It's about Christ being seen in us. You know, again, as I taught there at the Bible Institute, I used to... Tell the students, I said, I think this explains why oftentimes there's these, when you, when they, you know, a lot of our students were going into a tribe, an unreached tribe. And you'd think, why, you know, why doesn't the Lord enable them to learn the language very quickly and, and, you know, everything goes smoothly so they can preach the gospel? And a lot of times, Most of the time, it doesn't happen that way. There's years of struggle trying to learn the language and the culture, and there are obstacles along the way. Illness and all sorts of problems. Why? Because maybe the tribal people need time to see Christ before they're told about Christ. Maybe they need years of seeing those missionaries live under those situations and witnessing that there's something different about them, something they hunger for, so that when the message is preached, it has an impact. See, if they just went in and day one were able to start preaching the gospel, uh, you know, it'd just be words. They wouldn't have witnessed Christ. And so it is in, in our lives. You know, there are people that we really are burdened for. But maybe God wants them to witness Christ in our life for a while. Before they're drawn to Christ. Rick. Yeah. And isn't it true that even in that, the Lord's using like it can be our need of how we deal with the need in our own life. Sure. Uh, Y'all, I'm just thinking about my, a lot of you know, my mother in law. We were back from, I don't know where we were, but we were back here for a visit. And uh, I had a chronic illness and stuff. And uh, my mother-in-law, wondered, she said, you know, I heard of this support group. And, you know, it was just uh, all these women with all sorts of chronic illness and all that. Why do not we just go and see what it's like? Oh, um, it was a sad thing. Oh, my goodness. These ladies, it, I mean, it was just awful. They were talking about they never went anywhere. This was no special plan. How consumed they were in their own issues and all that. And so we went around and talked. And when we got done, y'all know this without me saying it. It doesn't have anything to do with boasting about me. But they said, well, why are you so happy and all life right, because they knew I had a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. I said, I'm not even mean, Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else can we say? What else can we be mm-hmm. to people that will ever meet their needs? Yeah. And the Lord's going to do that through our own. Yeah. You know, I, my brother said, Joe, I just don't give. My God, let us live." on this. On the like, I mm-hmm. yeah. 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 If our lives went along with a song, you know, the unbeliever would look and say, oh yeah, you, you, can, you can talk about God and everything because you don't have any problems. But, but what about when we walk through the same problems they have? And we have hope. And we can have joy and peace in the midst of it all. And that can only be if Christ is being formed in us. We can't fake that for very long. It's got to be real. And God's trying to to produce... Uh, something real. And in order to produce that very real thing, we saw in preparation there's a tearing down before there's a building up. And that's what a lot of Christians don't grasp. They get saved and they think, why isn't God just building me up? Because they're trying to live the Christian life in the energy of the old man. And God's not going to help them. He's going to tear this down So that Christ can be formed in us. And this applies, it said, both in growth and service. And a lot of servants of the Lord don't grasp this. And they wonder, you know, again, missionaries, there can be all sorts of problems where they've gone to the mission field and they're trying to do it through the energy of the flesh. And God is not going to let them succeed. Because God's more concerned with the servant than with the service. Now J.C. Metcalf we saw wrote, It's more than comforting to realize that, God is, uh, that it is those who have plumbed the depths of failure to whom God invariably gives the call to shepherd others. It's not a call to the gifted, the highly trained, or the polished as such. It's not having five seminary degrees after your name that equips you to serve God. It's not having all sorts of talents. It's being brought to a place where you can truly have empathy for those who are suffering and God can minister through you to them. See, we oftentimes we sell God short. We think, if only I were more of this, God could use me. But he says, it takes a man or a woman who has discovered something of the measures of their own weakness to be patient with the foibles of others. It's only... Joe in my understanding of our own weaknesses that give us patience in, in ministering to others. We know where we would be apart from Christ. And we can wait for Him to work. See, once He had brought us to that place, you know, we don't easily despair of others. We can look beyond their sinfulness, their willfulness, their stupidity. Understanding the power of his unchanging love. We know what that is. Again, I I teach these things with a passion because I've seen it in my own life. And I've seen how God has used it in the lives of others. Yes, I like the way Stanford pulls it all together. But this isn't just something we've read. This is something we've seen in our lives. And in the lives of many, many other people that the Lord's privileged us to be involved with. I like this observation, and it be right after this that we're getting into new material, which I have to move quickly through. But that the Lord Jesus does not give the charge, be a shepherd to my lambs, to my sheep, upon hearing Peter's self-confident affirmation of undying loyalty, but he gives it after he has utterly failed to keep his vows and has wept bitterly in the streets of Jerusalem. Man's way would be, when Peter said, Lord, I will not forsake you even if everybody else... Man, man's way would be, Peter, you're the kind of guy we need as a leader. We need you leading the way for us. We need that kind of commitment. Christ's response was, Peter, before the night's out, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter did. And Peter went out and stood in the streets of Jerusalem and wept. Wept over his failure. And that broken Peter, Christ comes to him there at Galilee weeks later. And he says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to care for my lambs. Why? Because a broken Peter was now a Peter that was ready to be used by the Lord. And so we pick up there. Uh, we start in this paragraph. He says, yes, there must be a deep, thorough, and long preparation if there's to be a reality. If our life is to be Christ-centered, our work controlled by the Holy Spirit, and our service glorifying to God. Sooner or later, he says... The Holy Spirit uh, Spirit begins to make us aware of our basic problem as believers. The infinite difference between self and Christ. He said, the Spirit has got to make us aware of the difference between the old Adamic self-life and what the Christ life is like. He says, there are laborers... Besides those seeking for pardon, for justification, there are laborers for sanctification after personal holiness, after riddance of the power of the old Adam, and to such as well as to those who are seeking after salvation, Christ promises with this great I will. In Matthew 11, 28 through through verse 30, he says, It is highly possible... For a man, after finding justifying rest in Christ, you know, finding uh, rest in the fact that the guilt and penalty has been paid for, to enter the state of deep need as regarding sanctifying rest. How I live a holy life. We think we shall not go far wrong if we say that this has been the experience of almost every believer who has ever lived. Yet we come to the place where we have confidence that our sins have been paid for. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But now, how do we deal with life? How do we deal with the sin that seems to so easily beset us? There is that struggle. Over the years, the Lord, for some reason, has chosen to give John L. and me uh, a ministry primarily to people in that second category. Our primary ministry hasn't been evangelization; it's been working alongside believers who who know that they're saved and going to heaven, but man, they are disheartened. They are discouraged. They have no clue how to move forward in their Christian life. And they need to come to see Christ as the answer just as much as they did when they uh, saw themselves as condemned sinners. And so he says, much of his preparation in our lives consists of setting up this struggle. We have a hard time envisioning God setting up a struggle in our life, but he does. A struggle to see this old Adamic self-life for what it is. And trying through our own self-efforts to get free from it. And we'll deal with that some in a later chapter. The different ways that believers try to deal with the self-life. When they become aware of what it's like, there are different uh methods that people have tried to deal with it, all of which are unsuccessful. And then we will see what God's solution is. We'll see that the cross is God's answer and how it is. So he says, you know... Uh, Uh, For there is no hope in consistently abiding uh, in the Lord Jesus as long as we are under the dominion of the self-life in which dwelleth no good thing. Not in babyhood are we able to continue to abide in his presence regardless of our surroundings and that which we're doing. Not when we serve him with intermittent zeal does our own soul grow and thrive. Not when we are indifferent. Uh, Are we watered from the presence of the Lord? It is after we have been subdued, refined, and chastened. When love of self and the world is gone. That we learn to abide in touch with Him at all times, in all places or surroundings. He says we have to be subdued, refined, and chastened. We have to come to the place where we cease from loving ourselves. Now, this is a message very contrary to the world. What does the world say? The problem is, you don't love yourself. You need to learn to love yourself. You will never be able to love others till you love yourself. And the world is going to constantly reinforce that thinking. And God is saying, you've got too much love of self. (laughs) <laughs> Had a friend in Ireland who worked with kids off the street and he he said, you know, they tell us that the problem with these kids are that they have don't have a good self-image. He said, Man, they can talk about themselves for hours on end. They've got a pretty good self image. That's not their problem. That's none of our problems. Our problem is we're too focused on this and not haven't really come to see Christ as our life. So he says, the value of both the struggle to free ourselves from this old Adamic nature, and the equally fruitless efforts to experience the new Christ life, you know, the new Adam life, as we try to do this, we read the scripture, we see what it's meant to look like, we try to do it. And he says, You know, the value of of this struggle is to finally realize that it is utterly futile. I've said it before. The Christian life is not a difficult life, it's an impossible life. You can't produce it. But God can. With him, all things are possible. That's true. With with salvation, is true with the Christian life. I always like again. This is dealing more with salvation, but in the Gospels, when you know Christ talks about the difficulty of. Really, the impossibility of a rich man entering the kingdom and, and all this. And his disciples say, Lord, if what you say is true, it, you know, uh, basically it's impossible. And I, I can almost see Christ's face light up. At last! You've seen it! I've been trying to show you that all along. But with God, all things are possible. For us to come to that place where we say, Lord, I can't live the Christian life. And to see Christ's life light a uh, face light up. I've been trying to tell you that all along. Let me produce in you what you can't do. Turn your eyes to me. He says our Personal, heartbreaking failure in every phase of our Christian life is our Father's preparation for His success on our behalf. Our failures is God preparing us for His success. This negative processing of his finally brings us to the positive promise of Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing that he who hath begun a good work will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God began his work at the moment of salvation and he's going to continue it. And he says his good work in us is begun through failure, our failures. And this includes, and I think this is important, our strongest points. See, our greatest hindrance in our Christian development is our strong points. They're the areas where we don't think we need him. You know, they're the things we can handle. Our strong personality point, I think at times, are our, uh, uh, our strong talents, areas of our life that, you know, we're very talented in. But we had those talents when we were lost and we still have them. People often think that, you know, see somebody very talented and say, man, God can really use that person. He can use them, but he may not use their talents. He may use them in a very different way because the talents are too easy for them to take it on themselves. So he says, you know, his good work is begun through failure, and this includes our strongest points, which continues on into his success by his performance and not ours. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and do his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 He says, you know, there is no de- question that we all began and began our salvation journey in sheer grace. And we must continue and arrive on the very same basis. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. Colossians, he talks about, you know, uh, we continue on the way we began. Now, Charles Trumbull writes, the effortless life, and the Christian life is meant to be not lived by our effort. It's effortless. But the effortless life is not the willless life. We use our will to believe, to receive, but not to exert effort in trying to accomplish what only God can do. My responsibility is to believe God concerning what He says. My responsibility is to reach out and appropriate what He by His grace has for me. But my responsibility is not by my effort to try to produce the life of Christ. I can't do it. He says, our our hope for victory over sin is not Christ plus my efforts. Again, you know, the world says what? God helps those who help themselves. Our hope for, uh, for victory over sin is not Christ plus my efforts, but Christ plus my receiving. To receive victory from Him is to believe His Word. What? That solely by His grace, He is this moment freeing us from the dominion of sin. And to believe on Him in this way is to recognize that He is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I've been a believer now for 65 years and I tell you, I cannot live the Christian life. Only Christ can do it. And I assure you, I have tried. I have tried and I have failed. And again, that's why I I speak with passion on these things. I've been there, done that, tried that says we learned this principle in the time of our spiritual birth it wasn't God and me that saved me it was God 100 percent by his grace we learned this principle at the time of our spiritual birth and it seems most of us if not all of us really have to learn it all over again in our spiritual growth and service I recognized that I could contribute nothing to my salvation, so I looked totally to Christ to be my Savior. And I have to learn that in my Christian life, to come to that point and say, Lord, I am no more capable of living my Christian life than I was of saving myself. And I look to Christ. He says, fear not, dear friend. Just hold on firm to the fact of His purpose for you in Christ, which is what? To conform us to the image of Christ. And He will faithfully take you step by step into all the necessary preparation. He will do it. Once you are sure of the purpose, you can be equally positive (coughs) of the preparation. Simply remember that Romans 8, 28, and 29 go together, which says what? You know, that God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And what is that purpose? Verse 29, to conform us to the image of his dear Son. And thank him for Philippians 1.6, which says that he which began a good work will perform it in you until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep doing his work in you until the day Christ calls you home. Or appears here. He says, the Lord is glorified... In a people whose heart is set at any cost by any road upon the goal which is God himself. Someone who says, I just want to know you Lord. It doesn't matter what road it takes. He says, a man who is thus minded says by any road. Here is a very difficult road, a road beset by enemies, but the passionate desire for the goal will hold him steadfast in the way. It's a man that lacks the yearning to know him that will easily be turned turned aside. Along that road that man Christ Jesus has already gone before and at every point has overcome for us. We have not to climb up. We are to be brought through in the train of His triumph. Every enemy has been met. They've already been met by Him. Every foe has been overcome. They've already been overcome by Him. There remains nothing that has not been put potentially under His feet. And He says, There remains nothing in this universe that is able to overcome the least child of God who has taken the hand of the Lord and said, Lord, bring me through to the place where Thou art in virtue of the blood which Thou hast already taken through in victory. He says, the least believer who's willing to grab hold of the Lord's hand and say, bring me through to that place where the blood has already gone. The least believer God can bring through. You know, so often, you know, I've heard certain men and women be set up as spiritual giants. There's no such thing, there's no such thing as a spiritual giant. There are just those who have come closer to approaching their potential in Christ than others. And so they look like giants, but they aren't. A giant's abnormally large. There hasn't been a believer since the time of Christ that's been, you know, overly Large. Their lives just look at times to those who are small who have not yet taken hold of what they have in Christ. One year when I was at the school they asked me to speak for graduation and I used a little illustration that the Lord had brought to mind years before and I had a Spotlight on me throwing a shadow on the wall. I had Jonelle come up and stand beside me. And, you know, she's a little bit smaller than me. And when she stood, when we stood side by side, my shadow was way bigger than hers. But when she took one step towards the light, her shadow overshadowed me. And the point I made is is none of us are spiritual giants, but the shadow our lives cast can be very large the closer we walk to the Lord. The more we walk towards Him, our lives will cast shadows that are big at times. And they'll look huge, but it's nothing about us. It's very much about Him and His light shining on us through us. I've had different ones over the years tell me that that illustration has stuck with them Uh, that it just really uh, struck home how important that is he says there is and this is the final closing statement he says there is a great glory of the Lord in a quiet confident walk in a day of adversity, a day of dread, when things about us are shaking and trembling. A great, uh, there is great glory of the Lord when what we are able to walk quietly and confidently when everything around us is shaking, when our eyes are on Him. So preparation. God uses need. And what you need and what I need might be very, very different. God knows the areas of your life that He's going to uh, really get through to you in. He knows those areas, and He's going to use those needs to bring you to that point of saying, Lord, I can't do it. And for Him to say, I know it, that's what I've been trying to tell you all along. You need Christ as your life, just like you needed Him as your Savior. Now, when we get back together in January, we'll get into chapter 6. where entitled Complete in Him, and we're going to see that everything we need, everything for time and eternity is already ours in Christ. God prepares us by showing us what the old is like. He tells us what we have in Christ, that we're complete. But then the journey continues as we've got to learn how to appropriate what we have in Christ. It's yours now. In eternity you will not have anything you don't have today. You have it. But for many of you, you don't know it. It's sitting on the shelf. Uh, you haven't really <clears throat> fully opened your your package. In fact, <clears throat> another message I did years ago I called the Salvation Package. And I had a, a gift up there, and I said, you know, people get their salvation, and they say, wow, look at this! this, I have this wonderful salvation, and they put it on the shelf, and they admire it, and they never open it. And they go through life praying and pleading for this and that and wondering why God doesn't do it. And they said they're going to get to heaven one day, <clears throat> open the package and find they had everything they needed all along and just never found it, never saw it, never used it. Everything you need for life and godliness you have. Your Christian life is going to be a journey of learning what you have and learning to appropriate it. And we'll see that as we move forward in our study. Okay, we're out of time. did manage to get to a good stopping point. Uh, Again, we'll start back on the 8th of January. Um, Miss not doing it the next few weeks, but with the holidays, it's a little challenging for everybody. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your preparatory work in us. Lord, I know at times we don't enjoy it while you're taking us through it. But Lord, it's so necessary We have to come to see our utter inability to live the Christian life. But as we do so, Lord, we thank you that you begin to show us what you're capable of. And that you can take us, little by little, day by day. Year after year, move us ever closer to being conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, I pray that he might increasingly be seen in us so that others might be drawn to him. And sometimes, Lord, we don't even recognize ways in which he's being seen in us. But others do. And Lord, just use that to draw them to you. Now, Lord, we pray for the hour ahead or time, uh, again, singing praises to you. And looking into your word. We pray that Lord you'll just use our time together. To bring honor and glory to your name. And to move us forward in our understanding. Of who we are and what we have in Christ. In whose precious name we pray. Amen.